The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth with your host, Brooke Wagner. Each week, this program will focus on interests and expertise pertaining to special needs individuals and their families. We'll help you open up and connect while sharing powerful information. Now, here is Brooke Wagner. Welcome, everyone, to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. I am host, Brooke Wagner. And our goal of the show is to offer support and resources and most importantly, hope to the special needs community. And today I have with me autism researcher, author, international presenter, and professor, uh, Dr. Stephen Shore. And we will be discussing his inspirational story and journey with autism, as well as his work in the field. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're able to hear, be here today and share your story and just looking forward to learning more about the amazing work you're doing and, and your busy life <laughs> that you're leading. And um, I would really love the um, opportunity to you know, hear how this journey began for you um, as a child. And I know your story is one of hope and perseverance and love. And I'm just excited to hear um, where this all began and, and that progression um, of what you went through. Oh, sure. Well, we'll take it from the beginning, in the very beginning, and that is uh, after 18 months of typical development, I was hit with what I call the autism bomb, otherwise known as regressive autism. Mm -hmm. And I lost functional communication, had meltdowns, withdrew from the environment, and in brief became a pretty severely affected child on the autism spectrum. There was Mm -hmm so little known about autism then that it took my parents a whole year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, I guess just the best thing to say is that uh, I was fortunate that my parents advocated on my behalf and refuted the professional's recommendations for institutionalization, but Mm -hmm. instead convinced that organization, it was a school actually, or a center, uh, to take me in about a year. And it was during that year that my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program. Okay. Okay. Well, thank goodness your parents, um, you know, really trusted their own instincts and and were able to guide you through that process. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. Really fortunate. Oh, that's amazing. And you mentioned um, regressive autism and um, and you lost that functional communication. So can you touch on um, at what point did you resume your communication? Oh, sure. Well, with the work that my parents did, and it was, you might, today, in today's terminology, it would be considered as an intensive home-based early intervention program emphasizing music, movement, sensory integration, narration, and imitation. 
So with the work that they did, speech began to return at age four. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. And it sounds like they really took a comprehensive approach to supporting you, um, looking at all those different areas that you mentioned, um, and really trying to um, look at all avenues of um, growth and development. Well, in those days, uh, the concept of early intervention didn't even exist. So I think really what was going through their minds was, what can we do to connect with our child? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they first tried some pretty typical strategies, such as uh, trying to get me to imitate them, which in education we hear a lot about the importance of a child being able to imitate the teacher to learn. the common teaching strategy. However, there are many people on the spectrum who may not be at a point where they can even imitate somebody else. So then right. they flipped it around and imitated me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once they did that, I became aware of them in my environment, and they were able to move me along. And I right. think the key educational implication is that you have to develop a trusting relationship with the individual before you can start to teach them. Right. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And, um, you know, the work we hear, we do here at TAG in, in San Diego um, is mostly based on relationship development intervention or RDI. And, um, and that is absolutely, you know, the core um, component of our program is to develop that trusting relationship um, so that the child is available for learning and growing and, and really sees their parent as a guide. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like your parents, you know, really were able to figure that piece out um, and and really look at what was needed for you to have that awareness and have that desire to then connect with them with, you know, all of the uncertainty going on at the time. Right, and even at a time before, uh, even before Stephen Goodstein started his work with the relational development intervention. Right. Oh, it's amazing. It's really yeah. amazing. Um, your parents were very in tune with you, <laughs> um, right. without a lot of professional support, which is, you know, it's huge um, and incredible. You know, to see, you know, the beauty of, you know, what that ex- those experiences for you, you know, developed into, and and how many successes you've had in your life because of just that initial goal of connecting emotionally, you know, before focusing on, you know, lots and lots of skill-based learning. Right. That's so important. It is. It is. And um, I'd love to hear, you know, how this process evolved for you. You know, I have a good understanding of how they they started off that process um, with getting that initial connection. Can you share a little bit more about how that that relationship with them evolved um, once you had that spark and that that initial connection with them? Oh, sure. Uh, My parents were finely tuned to uh, my interests, and it was mostly my mother. Uh, certainly my dad was there too, but in those days it was his job to hunt a saber-toothed tiger or a mastodon, and mm-hmm. the mother stayed home and did kind of mommy things. Mm-hmm. And my first, you might say, deep interest or special interest uh, was taking apart watches. So mm-hmm. I was found in the kitchen taking apart a watch with a sharp knife one day. I'd pop off the back, take out the hands, the gears, everything and then put it all back together again, and the watch still worked. And there weren't mm-hmm. any pieces left over. 
And my parents, noticing this, uh, soon provided all kinds of other devices to take apart and put back together. Mm-hmm. And they'd sometimes sit with me to make sure I did get them back together again. And I think that's an example of using what I call an abilities-based model of mm-hmm. considering somebody with autism. Uh, so mm-hmm. often what I see being used is what I call a deficit-based model. And mm-hmm. even if we think about the diagnostic criteria, we look for deficits in social interaction, communication, restricted interests, and repetitive movements. And it's all spoken as deficits. But mm-hmm. perhaps, or not perhaps, I know we'd be better off if we didn't put any value judgment on these characteristics and just Mm -hmm. realize that this is what they are. And if we transition towards an abilities-based model by asking what can the person with autism do? Mm -hmm. What can the person with autism do to be successful? Where are their strengths? And I see a lot of that happening in RDI, which is very encouraging. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of our main focuses in RDI is assuming competence and and really trying to give our clients opportunities to feel competent and to feel successful. So they want to learn more and they want to develop more and they want to, you know, participate more uh, in these interactions with their parents. And um, it sounds like your parents, you know, really kind of ebbed and flow with, you know, being able to guide you through that process as you were learning to take things apart and put them back together. And, and it was really stirring up your intrinsic motivation to learn and to discover. And, you know, it sounds like that's, that was just such a natural process for them to be able to support you through. And something that we do heavily in RDI, you know, just really trying to take what the, the child is interested in and then help them to expand upon that and grow upon that and and learn with their parents support so then they get that added benefit of you know learning while being guided and um, and having those you know authentic opportunities for growth yeah exactly and I, you know the the idea of intrinsic motivation uh, using the child's interests uh, I remember uh, a related story. Uh, I was, uh, most of my grade school days, uh, after entering the special school that initially rejected me, I spent about a year there and then went into regular school kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I I had other interests. And what attracted me mostly to school was, one, the uh, predictable schedule, but also, two, I could go into the library and pull all the books on my favorite subjects whether they be, that be astronomy, chemistry, uh, world history, earthquakes, weather, uh, whatever the interest was, I'd pull as many books as I could out of the library and sit at my desk pretty much all day reading them mm-hmm. and taking notes and copying diagrams and sometimes wondering if there was more to school than just reading my favorite books, but I was happy to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why that occurred is that teachers didn't quite know how to reach me, but since I wasn't a behavior problem, they just left me to my own devices. And it was probably for better rather than for worse because so little known was about so little was known about autism in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I do remember in third grade, while I had a stack of astronomy books on my desk, um, a teacher telling me that I'd never learned how to do math. But mm-hmm. somehow I figured out just enough math 
<laughs> teach statistics at the university level. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't that days, amazing? <laughs> uh, you know, more, more and more educators would notice something like that as a special interest and find a way to work it into the curriculum to make it intrinsically rewarding, mm-hmm. uh, intrinsically reinforcing, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to use behavioral language. And that's uh, an evolution from uh, what I used to see a lot of extrinsic rewards. So if the interest in astronomy were to be used extrinsically, and uh, that would an example would be if you do well in math class for 20 minutes, you can use the last 10 minutes to read your astronomy books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's much more powerful if you can arrange it. So let's study math using astronomy. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then it just really becomes, it comes alive and it becomes authentic and real and meaningful to right. the individual. And, you know, I love that. You know, I'm glad you were able to, to clarify that and, um, you know, I think that it would be so great to hear um, the next step of your evolutional process of how you evolved into connecting socially um, with peers. How did that, what your parents created for you and, and gave you through those interactions, how did that transfer over into peer relationships? Oh, well, peer relationships were much more difficult because mm-hmm. I was not interested in what my classmates were interested in, what they talked about. Uh, I didn't know how to interact with my classmates in a way that they could understand or appreciate. I suppose walking around the classroom in kindergarten, repeating the letter B over and over again, didn't endear me to my classmates. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, or at least now, fortunately, school systems realize that bullying is not a developmental phase that people need to go through, that something right. needs to be done about it. Right. Uh, rather, my friends were mostly... Um, either adults or my older sister's friends. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and what I found really interesting is that while I was uh, growing up through grade school, uh, it was curious to me that most of my friends were older than I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as I continued, I went to college. That was a utopia because there were no bullies and classes were more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I could find I could find people just as strange as I was. And if mm-hmm. I wanted to ride my bicycle at midnight, I could find someone else to mm-hmm. ride my bicycle ride bicycles with me at midnight. Uh-huh. And then continuing on to uh, the world of work, uh, it seemed like uh, all of my friends were from other cultures. Mm. And okay. all of these things I hear many people on the autism spectrum uh, reporting similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's really interesting to hear. And um, it sounds like, you know, it's been such a journey for you and, um, and, you know, such a, a progression of going through all of those different uh, educational systems and, you know, leading to where you are today. And, you know, I was curious to hear, uh, how you found out that you had autism? Were you younger, or what way did your parents share that with you? Yeah, well, that's a that's a, an important and interesting question, and I was lucky in that regard because my parents used the word autism in the house for as long as I can remember. So since about mm-hmm. age five and a half, 
I knew I had this thing called autism. Uh, perhaps we didn't know much about what it was, but it certainly helped explain a lot of differences. Uh, and I think that's probably the best way for people to learn. Uh, of course, uh, uh, in a developmentally appropriate manner. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I find a lot of people don't uh, learn about having autism that way. And there is this time where you've got to sit down and tell that person. Uh, as a result, I've developed a four-step approach that emphasizes a person's strengths while at the same time being realistic about the very real challenges that do come with autism. Mm-hmm. And that begins the discussion of uh, learning to know one's own characteristics and strengths and challenges um, uh, before uh, getting to the label of autism. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, is there um, is your four-step process documented somewhere in one of your books, or is that something that we could share with our listeners? Yeah. Well, yeah. We can. It can be found in uh, my uh, my third book, uh, Understanding Autism for Dummies. Uh, I've okay. written a number of articles about it, but I might as well briefly describe it here so people can listen and. If, they, uh, if they're interested, they can read more about it. And okay. So let's that take an example. Uh, I started working with this child with Asperger's syndrome at age five and a half, uh, giving him music lessons. And that's one of the things I do as well, is I give music lessons to children with autism. And certainly had Asperger's syndrome, but his parents refused to use the word autism in the house because they just knew with enough intensive activity, we'd early interventionize the Asperger's syndrome right out of him. Mm -hmm. And we worked hard, and uh, he got his services in uh, grade school. And we fast forward to the teenage years, and he still has Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, it's more apparent now than it was when he was younger, because the social challenges and complexity of life just, greatly increases one gets older. And that's mm-hmm. why we often see these late diagnoses because they were missed earlier. The person may have developed a powerful fortress of accommodations, but they only go so far if uh, you don't understand the underlying reasons that you need right. them. So anyway, so they realize, parents realize that the Asperger's is here to stay and they ask me to do the deed. I told them, well, mm-hmm. it's a dirty job, and John Wayne ain't available, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> uh-huh. And we started the next session talking about his strengths in music, graphic design, and computers. And then we talked about his challenges in making friends, gra- uh, physical education, and penmanship. And he got that pretty quickly, and that's the first step. Uh, the second step is to move on to lining up strengths and challenges. So you could use a piece of paper, strengths on one side, challenges on another. And we decided that since he was so good at computers, why not just write your papers using the computer instead of trying to uh, write them by hand. And the two keys to this step are, one, find a strength to accommodate for a challenge, and two, uh, I, I use the word challenge and not weakness. Because right. weakness is kind of a static word, and it has too many negative meanings, mm-hmm. connotations. Uh, but challenge suggests that you can work with, over, around, through, 
or even make a considered decision to ignore a challenge and still lead a fulfilling and productive life. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, and, it, and it seems like it really focuses on, you know, creating that goal to, you know, have growth and, and change in a positive way if you choose to. Um, so I definitely I want to hear more about this and keeping everybody on their toes, but we're going to take a quick break. Um, right. So hold your thought and then we're going to finish your steps um, when we get back. So with that, we'll go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here, and today I have with me autism researcher, author, international presenter, and professor, Dr. Stephen Shore. And before the break, we were talking about his four steps to uh, sharing with an individual that they have autism, and um, we kind of stopped halfway through. So, Stephen, I'd love to hear um, the rest of those steps. Oh, sure. So now that we've gotten through the first steps, first two steps, uh, the first one being uh, uh, talking about strengths and challenges, and the second one, uh, you might say lining them up and matching at least one strength 
to a challenge, we then move on to step three, uh, which is uh, comparing, I call it non-judgmental comparison. So the idea is that we look at other people's uh, profiles, strengths, and challenges. Uh, no one's better than anybody else, and we use our strengths to lead fulfilling and productive lives. This can uh, also be a good time to sometimes introduce a potential role model. Uh, there's many living and historical figures who we think may be on the autism spectrum or some who have disclosed that they are on the autism spectrum. So uh, perhaps we can bring out a, one or two uh, relevant figures of this nature, mm -hmm. uh, such as Steven Spielberg, who has disclosed that he has Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. Many people think uh, Albert Einstein had was on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. and there's many other figures to, to look at as well. Mm -hmm. uh, then before presenting the label, I talk about scientists and doctors who study people's characteristics, and the set of characteristics you have line up with what is known as autism or Asperger's syndrome or whatever condition they might have. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it builds a framework of understanding around the label as opposed to it being something to be afraid of. Right. I find that many disclosures go exactly backwards, and the label comes out first, and then there's a lot of anxiety and fear about it, and you spend mm -hmm. an awful lot of time sort of talking out uh, those anxieties and fears because uh, the person doesn't know what it is, or what it means to be on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the student of mine, it took us about 20 minutes to get to the end. It was very fast, and I wasn't sure if he understood what we talked about, because at that 20-minute mark, he had pretty much had enough and asked to go back to the lesson. Mm. A few weeks later, I asked his father how his son did with the disclosure, and Dad reported that his son loved having Asperger's syndrome. No. Oh. oh, that's so wonderful. And I just love that it's presented in a very positive way and, you know, really looking at those strengths, as you mentioned, and, you know, while still being connected to the challenges, but, um, but really making it a positive and informative process. And um, that seems like it's such a um, respectful um, and, and positive way to support the individual. Yeah, I find it helpful in, in uh, presenting autism this way because then there's a better understanding of what it means mm -hmm. uh, to them. And that's really what it's all about. What does it mean to the individual to have autism and how do they work with or through the characteristics? Right. Absolutely. Oh, that's so great. Um, now, you have written so many books pertaining to autism, developed a DVD, um, and you're currently doing research as well, in addition to presenting internationally. Um, can you share a little bit more about the work you're doing today? Oh, sure. Um, I divide my time pretty much into uh, four segments. Uh, one segment is uh, teaching uh, at, the, at Delphi University where I teach uh, educators, social workers, uh, psychologists, and others interested in supporting individuals on the autism spectrum and, mm -hmm. and how to uh, better provide supports and education. Mm -hmm. uh, I also uh, 
I also research into autism-related subjects. Um, I um, was instrumental in getting the uh, Asperger support program that we have in the United States started in their research. And mm-hmm. what it is, is a program that supports uh, about 100 students with Asperger syndrome and related conditions to be successful in mm-hmm. higher education. It's called the Bridges Program. And okay. it works pretty well. Our preliminary research suggests that students in the Bridges Program have a higher grade point average than the general student population, and they also have a better retention rate, so they're sticking around longer, mm. uh, which also makes me wonder is uh, should we provide some of these supports to the student population at large? Right. Because what I find is that when we develop teaching strategies, accommodations, changes, and supports for people on the autism spectrum, they tend to be helpful to many other people as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's good for people with autism is good for everybody else, is what Mm -hmm. I find. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it's a sensory accommodation of better lighting, of reduced sound, better um, air circulation, uh, advanced organizers and uh, outlines and summaries of courses. Everybody helps with, is helped with that. Right. Uh, another area of research that I am looking forward into get, getting into uh, relates to employment. I've been mm-hmm. involved with uh, the organization, uh, organization Special Eastern, uh, which mm-hmm. focuses on providing uh, employment and IT for individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, they have a goal of a million jobs for people on the autism spectrum in IT. Wow. And given the extremely widely varying skill set that we find in people on the autism spectrum, uh, there are a number of people with autism who are great IT geeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we can provide the proper support and find the pro- uh, a position that matches, then the companies end up with an employee who can be more productive, sometimes way more productive, than mm-hmm. their typical employees. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, it's also important to realize that although a number of us on the spectrum are IT geeks, uh, a lot of us are not computer geeks. Right. A lot of us have skills in other areas, so it's important not to be um, not to be blinded by the amazing IT skills that many of us with autism have, because mm-hmm. many of us have strengths in other areas. Mm-hmm. So, looking into research there with again using an abilities-based model, so transitioning from it being a charitable thing to do to hire someone with autism and it's a good thing to do and there's a tax write-off and all that fun stuff. Two, like with uh, these large um, computer organizations, I should say Mm -hmm. software organizations, they're actively seeking people with autism because they know Mm -hmm. that many of us have skills in this area. So that's another area of research that I look forward to getting into. Mm -hmm. I've also done a fair amount of research in comparative approaches. Hmm. What I've found is that there's a number of approaches out there and people would 
tend to get siloed in their approaches mm-hmm. and to the exclusion of others and to the detriment of people on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And just the idea that the autism spectrum is so wide and diverse, it suggests that different approaches are going to meet the needs of different people. Right. So I think what we need to do is to uh, become more aware of the different approaches out there. And Mm -hmm. those who are practitioners, uh, let's say RDI practitioners, Mm -hmm. because that's pretty much what we're uh, talking about here, uh, it's fine to focus on one or two approaches. Uh, Just like people, just like individuals with autism will be helped by different approaches and techniques, Mm-hmm. And so will certain people gravitate to particular approaches, and that's a fine thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it would be great to get to a point where the RDI practitioner can say, you know, I think the kid I'm working with, he needs, a, he needs, a, he needs some techniques or he needs some work uh, with people who practice, say, daily life therapy mm-hmm. or the Miller method. Right. and be able to re- refer that individual to that practitioner. And likewise, the uh, Miller practitioner or other practitioner should be able to say, uh, I think that RDI can provide something that I don't focus on. So mm-hmm. uh, here you go. Um, let's see what you can do uh, to help my client. Right. Oh, absolutely. And we do that a lot here at TAG. We find that it's so essential if, if we can't support our clients in a certain way or feel like they need something else or something different, then, you know, we'll do our research to find another professional. You know, here in San Diego, we have so many incredible professionals in the field and, um, right. and you know, really refer out um, as much as, as needed. So right. yeah. I completely yeah, agree, awesome. and I, I think there's just no one-size-fits-all, and many of our clients do need multiple approaches to, you know, be able to effectively and comprehensively support them. Right. And uh, that's, uh, you know, whatever the need may be, you've got the Autism Research Institute out there with the biomedical approaches. Right. There, some of us have heavy biomedical and medical needs, and others have less medical, mm-hmm. fewer medical needs. So uh, you got that, you got that resource uh, there as well. Definitely. So that's one thing that I do. Um, I also, as you mentioned, write books and articles mm-hmm. uh, related to autism. Uh, with my first book being autobiographical, Beyond the Wall, where mm-hmm. I use the autobiographical structure in which to uh, talk about the characteristics of autism, addressing sensory issues, academic accommodations, teaching music, and then transitioning to navigating transition to adulthood in the areas of continuing education, relationships, employment, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a second book called Ask and Tell, which is focuses on self-advocacy for those of us on the spectrum, and all the chapters written in that book are by people on the autism spectrum. I figure who knows best how to teach us how to advocate. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Understanding Autism for Dummies, which I mentioned briefly before, which mm-hmm. serves as a good introduction to aspects of autism, uh, you might say from an inside point of view. And then from there on to uh, the DVD that you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. 
experiences on the autism spectrum, what it means to have autism or Asperger's syndrome. And this is a three-way conversation between myself talking about what it's like to be on the autism spectrum. Robert Nassif is a father of an adult son with autism. Mm. And we also have Dan Gottlieb, who moderates the discussion, who's a psychologist and has a grandson with autism. And then the latest uh, publication is uh, College for Students with Disabilities. And I wrote that with my colleague, uh, Pavan John Antony. Uh, He's also here at Adelphi University. And this Mm -hmm. book is a combination uh, blending personal stories of college students or people perhaps who were college students and graduated Mm -hmm. uh, with various disabilities, uh, including autism, and uh, the latest research on how we can best support individuals with disabilities in higher education. And then uh, I guess my third third thing I do, a third area I focus on, is uh, presentations, workshops, and consultations, as you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. And having just come back from Malaysia a couple of days ago, uh, presenting at a conference there, you might say an emergency keynote, as their, mm-hmm. one of their presenters <laughs> unexpectedly got sick with pneumonia, uh, I've uh, presented so far in 40 countries across six continents. Wow. And I've only got four states in the United States uh, remaining in which to talk about (laughs) autism. So there's that. And then finally, there's the music lessons for kids with autism. Wow. Wow. I really don't know how you have time for all of that. That's so incredible. Yeah, that you're really doing incredible work, amazing work, and and helping the community community at large in such a huge way. Um, it's just so many accomplishments. It's it's remarkable. Thanks. So it's wonderful to hear about it. And I know that um, one of the things you're passionate about is advocating for adults with autism. And um, we're going to take a quick break, but I would love to come back from the break and, and hear you share a little bit more about that work and, and, and your passion around that topic. And um, so with that, we'll take a quick break and, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A therapeutic approach to growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. 
We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here. And today I have with me autism researcher, author, international presenter, and professor, Dr. Stephen Shore. And uh, right before the break, I had mentioned uh, your passion around advocating for adults with autism. And I'd love to hear you share more about that, Stephen. Oh, sure. Uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of work and teaching uh, people of all ages uh, skills and successful self-advocacy. And I find what the challenge is, is to, uh, um, it starts with a, a foundation of self-awareness or knowledge. Where mm-hmm. are your challenges and where are your strengths? And mm-hmm. how can we use our strengths to accommodate for our challenges? So that's where the four-step disclosure piece comes in. Mm-hmm. And then once there's a good sense of where one's own challenges and strengths are, uh, we can move on to figuring out how to find these challenges. How do we know that we've come across a challenge in the environment? And this environmental awareness, you might say, of, of seeking these challenges, that's the first step in effective self-advocacy. So it might even be something as simple as uh, being aware that one has, say, a visual sensitivity uh, mm-hmm. Many of us with autism perceive fluorescent lights like many people perceive a strobe light. Mm-hmm. And this type of situation makes it very hard to work in a room with a strobe light. Uh, as for right. me, um, recessed lighting fixtures are very difficult. Uh, standing under one of those is like looking into a spotlight for most people. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that I kind of keep an eye out or where these fixtures may be, and when I encounter one. And then once I do, say I'm in a restaurant, uh, mm-hmm. then, it comes to, then, then it's time to engage in the second step of self-advocacy, and that is developing an advocacy plan and making the request or communicating uh, the need for greater support or greater understanding. So let's say I am in a restaurant with another person, 
I recognize that the table is under a recessed lighting fixture. So I might mm-hmm. say that a per- to the person that I'm with, gee, I wonder if we could change seats because, uh, or I wonder if, I hope you don't mind if I wear this hat. And these are two very mm-hmm. simple accommodations that I could make. And mm-hmm. then there's the third step, which is the disclosure piece. Because if you're going to ask for a greater understanding or change or modification in the environment, you need to give a reason why. Mm-hmm. And my reason would be, these lights give me a headache, I must have really sensitive eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's known as a partial disclosure. It's not necessary to talk about autism or other diagnoses, but often it's just enough to talk about the specific aspect that's causing the challenge. So in that right. way, I've gone through the three-step process of finding the challenge, asking what's causing the difficulty in the situation. Then number two, um, arriving at an advocacy plan. Uh, I wonder if we could change seats, move tables. Hope you don't mind mm-hmm. if I wear a hat, my hat in the restaurant. And then number three, uh, giving the reason why. Right. Right. I love that because I think it gives the tools, you know, for the adults to, you know, be able to manage things that might be challenging in a really constructive way and in, in a very positive way. And it gives them that power to, you know, be able to support themselves and advocate for themselves, you know, rather than feeling out of control or right. uncertain. And, and so often I find that, uh, and as you say, out of control because people may not be aware of what their challenges are and all they know is that this particular area, this room, for example, uh, it's just a place that's full of anxiety and it's not a good place for me to be. And they avoid right. it, but that person is not, doesn't really know why they're avoiding and mm-hmm. nobody else does either. And it's much better if we have greater awareness. Right, right. And that self-awareness is so essential. And, you know, it's a big part of our, our RDI program for that very reason. Um, because, you know, we find that many of our clients, you know, ha- um, struggle with having a high sense of self-awareness. And um, we find that it's just so incredibly important to help them become aware so they can advocate for themselves. Even at a young age, you know, young children certainly can learn to advocate for themselves when they have a greater sense of self. So. Right. You know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that um, because I do think it's it's all about you know laying that foundation of what's most important so that you can achieve that ultimate goal. But without that foundation, then you just you just have uncertainty and confusion, and as you mentioned, you know you start to avoid um, those kinds of situations. And um, rather than you know learning that hey, this is just something that's that's about you know more about who I am, and and this is what I can do to help myself, and and, and then I can move forward with it. So. Um, you know, I think that's just wonderful that you're able to identify those in a systematic way for individuals to be able to then feel like, okay, I can follow these steps and, and I can help myself. Yeah, it's such an important aspect. And most people do this automatically without even thinking about it, but like with other things, uh, such as reading nonverbal cues, uh, social interaction, uh, sometimes uh, direct instruction is needed. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay, great. Well, I'd love to talk more about uh, relationships. 
Um, I understand you're married, and can you share a bit more about how you and your wife met? Well, sure. I mean, dating has always been a challenge for me. I never quite figured it out. Fortunately, I don't have to think about it much now, uh, mm-hmm. except maybe more as a curiosity or how to help other people uh, mm-hmm. you know, engage in dating. Uh, I never picked up the nonverbal cues that, and the hidden curriculum that surrounds dating. And I remember getting into strange situations, such as in undergraduate school, after spending a lot of time with this lady, uh, she suddenly announced that she likes hugs and back rubs. Mm-hmm. And now I know that that has a certain meaning, they might say, between the lines. Right. Uh, but what I thought was is that I've got this great new friend, and she doubles as a deep-pressure temple grain and squeeze machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as a child, I tended to be a sensory seeker, a seeking uh, proprioceptive input and vestibular input. So swinging mm-hmm. on thw- swings, spinning around on anything that would spin, uh, riding my bike into snow banks to go launching over the handlebars. And that's mm-hmm. how I got my, at least some of my uh, vestibular and proprioceptive input. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I get my vestibular and proprioceptive input another way, and it's part of why I travel the world talking about autism because it involves getting in an airplane. Mm-hmm. And great vestibular and proprioceptive input when an airplane takes off. And right. it gets even better when it goes through turbulence. Oh, <laughs> amazing, huh? <laughs> I like the rides. But anyway, so a sensory seeker, you tell a sensory seeker you like hugs and back rubs, and uh, you know that's, they're going to say great, especially if they're not picking up on the nonverbal cues that are kind of running with it. So after a lot of conversation, I realized that she wanted to be my girlfriend, but I wasn't interested. So that also taught me that, that experience taught me that there was this whole world of nonverbal communication. And it actually became a, a special interest, a deep interest, or a passion. And I would spend hours in stores reading books on body language and relationships. So by the time I got to graduate school, now I'm spending a lot of time with this lady, uh, reviewing each other's homeworks, doing things socially, and then one day uh, we were walking on a beach, she suddenly gave me a kiss, a hug, and held my hand. But Mm. at that point I had the social story down, and it went something like this. If a woman hugs you, kisses you, and holds your hand all at about the same time, it probably means they want to be your girlfriend. You better have an answer right away. It could either be yes, no, or a further investigation and analysis is indicated. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to be a good thing to do, and now we've been married for over 25 years. Oh, what a beautiful story. That's really incredible and just so amazing that you know you were able to meet her and you know have that, and she was able to meet you and just you know right. have that successful. I mean. So many people, you know, um, whether you're on the spectrum or not, just, you know, want that kind of long-standing marriage in their life as, you know, um, you know, one of those things that we look for in a, as having a high quality of life. And it's just really incredible that you're able to have that experience and that story. So thank yeah, you so much for sharing. Such a challenge for so many people. 
It is. It really is. And it's just such a gift to to get, you know, to have that opportunity. So um, now I'd love to um, have some time to talk about um, if you could advise teachers and specialists about one thing, um, what would it be? I think the most important thing is to get to know the individual with autism, just like you would work to get to know any other student. Mm-hmm. And in that way, learn that student's interests and strengths and characteristics. And in that way, we can learn better how to provide support. Mm-hmm. It's important to realize that the potential of people with autism is just like everybody else's. It's unlimited. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us to figure out how to unlock that potential. Right. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I, and I think it's just, you know, speaks to, you know, really seeing the, the individual as a human being, as somebody that is special and important and to honor who they are and, and what they bring to the table and, um, and, and so that you can really learn about, you know, how to effectively support uh, him or her. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, what about parents? Is there anything you would advise parents on? Yeah, yeah. If, uh for parents, um, it's pretty similar. Uh, mm-hmm. Your child with autism uh, has unlimited potential just like everybody else. And mm-hmm. the goal is to find a way to unlock that potential. Find mm-hmm. out what that what your child's interests are. What mm-hmm. are their strengths? Mm-hmm. And in that way, focus on what the child can do. Mm-hmm. while recognizing that there are some significant challenges. If there weren't significant challenges to autism, we wouldn't be here trying to figure it out. Right. So right. we do have to address those as well. Right. Absolutely. Okay, great. And we just have about two minutes to till we have to wrap up here today. So um, before we wrap up, you you know, Stephen, you have so many accomplishments and um, I'd love to hear what you would say um, you are most proud of, if you can pinpoint one of all of those many that we talked about. Uh, I think uh, uh, most proud about uh, where I've been able to get to today mm-hmm. and that I've, I am lucky enough to have the parents that I have uh, mm-hmm. who recognize that I could do more than spend my life in an institution. Other family members, such as my brother, sister, extended family. And then as time went on, various professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, some teachers, and now, most importantly, my wife. And being fortunate enough to be able to benefit uh, from their support and guidance. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. It's an incredible journey that you've been on and um, you know, it sounds like you've ble- been blessed by so many different individuals in your life and and that you have blessed so many as well. And um it's just a neat really neat story and um if um families want to learn more about your work, um your research, is there a website we can direct them to? Yeah, there certainly is. Uh, my website is www.autismasperger.net. 
I also have a Facebook page uh, okay. with my full name, Stephen Mark Shore. Uh, okay. There's a number of video clips on YouTube. And if you go to YouTube and type in my name, Stephen Shore, and then the word autism after it, they'll pop up. And if uh, and if you forget everything, mm-hmm. uh, all of these websites, YouTubes, whatever, just go to Google and type in my name, Stephen Shore, and autism, and a number of links will pop up, including my website. Okay, perfect. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad we were able to share that information, and um, I know that it's going to impact a lot of people um, listening today. And um, I know that you know this the show will be recorded as well, so they can go back and listen to it um, at a later time. And um, but uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and close. But thank you again, Stephen, so much for sharing your story and all your incredible work you're doing in the field. And we really appreciate it and and value it. So um, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, and thank you. It's been great talking with you. Wonderful. And I look forward to possibly meeting someday. Definitely. Me too. Thank you so much, and um, have a wonderful day. And we'll be back next Tuesday, 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Bye bye right. now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. Be sure to tune in to Therapeutic Approach to Growth and join Brooke Wagner again every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.